This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron. Honor to you and your house. You're listening to Trek FM. Theo Greyhawk. Listeners, and welcome to another episode of Earl Grey. I'm your host, Amy Nelson, and joined with me today are Richard Marquez and Justin Ozer. Richard, how are you doing today? I got a headache, but that's okay. I'm going to push through it, and I'm excited about this episode of uh, Earl Grey. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, talking Star Trek is always good to help what ails you. Well, Justin, how are you doing? I'm doing great today and looking forward to talking about uh, Michael Piller written episodes and this time a movie. So yes. that's exciting. So we are talking Michael Piller. This is our second part. Um, but before we jump in, I just wanted to uh, give a quick little shout out to a couple listeners who commented on the Babel conference um, on our mm, last episode. Well, episode 197, where we had our unsung episodes for season six. And we, of course, chose our top three and was happy to see some listeners chime in with theirs that they liked. Uh, Greg Malumbi, a wonderful listener, said <clears throat> that he had uh, that we chose good choices, but he would also include suspicions and birthright and mainly for the data storyline. So yes, good choices that I think uh, people tend to overlook when they think about season six. Yeah, definitely. Those are good ones. And Zach Moore, host of Standard Orbit, uh, said that season three and four are TNG at its peak, in his opinion, but season six is right behind them. The only ones that came to mind as bad episodes are Man of the People, Aquiel, Birthright Part 2, two of which we mentioned. Well, of course, you want to watch those. They are unsung, but apparently Zach thinks that they are not good episodes. By the way, you chose both of them, Amy. Yes, I did. <laughs> it's because people need to go back through and watch these good episodes, Zach, not bad episodes. Amy is law. <laughs> <laughs> and Luke Sims Jenkins says, I have no idea which episodes are hugely well regarded in this season, <clears throat> except maybe Relic's Chain of Command, Ship in a Bottle and Tapestry, and maybe second chances. Uh, he continues to say, I love the chase, timescape, starship mine, and schisms. A strong season of TNG and look forward to listening to the episode. Those are definitely some good, 
good choices. I I love the chase too, definitely. Yeah, I think that's a really that's a really good one that I don't think any of us picked in that episode. Well, we we had talked about Starship Mine previously. Oh right, but no, we had talked about yeah. Timescape, Starship Mine, and Schisms, but I think we didn't talk about the chase. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. that is a good one. I, I like that one a lot. Yeah, listeners, thank you for chiming in and letting us know uh, your unsung episodes of season six. Um, we also have finally, after a couple months of our iTunes winner, and Justin, why don't you tell our listeners about that? Yes, so we did pick a winner from our UK iTunes uh, review contest, uh, where the prize was a copy of the great book Treconomics, uh, donated by Lee Hutchison, who was uh, formerly a host on Earl Grey. And um, so the username of the person who submitted the winning review, and I hope they're listening right now, is A. Calum UK. So first word is just A, and then the second word K A. L-I-M, and then UK. Um, And they said in their review, fun, informative, and enjoyable podcast. I always listen to this podcast and find it brilliant at providing informative and well-balanced commentary on TNG that helps me see more in the episodes and extract even more fun from rewatching the series on Netflix. So thank you for submitting that review. Hope you get in contact with us soon. And of course, listeners, whether you're in the UK, the US, or anywhere else in the world, uh, we hope that if you haven't already given a review for Earl Grey, that you'll get on iTunes and give us a star rating and written review. Yeah, thank you so much. That was very nice. It was very nice. It was. Okay, listeners. Well, today we will be discussing, uh, again, the second, the last six episodes of Next Gen, where Michael Piller received a writing or co-writing credit. And those are Unification Part 1 and Part 2, The Masterpiece Society, The Perfect Mate, Time Zero Part 1, and Rascals. We will also be discussing the movie Insurrection, which was co-written by Michael Piller. Now, Michael Piller, again, we just have to give credit to basically saving Next Generation. And it was very interesting to see him dressed, not him, but someone cosplayed him from the Babel Conference. Justin, you and I saw him. So maybe we could get Greg Rozier to post a picture of him cosplaying at Star Trek Las Vegas. He looked just like him, didn't you think? Yeah, he did. And it it was just such an awesome idea to cosplay, not a character on Star Trek, but somebody who was a showrunner and writer and producer. That was that was awesome. So hopefully he can post a a picture when when we uh, post something in the Babel conference about this episode. Yes. So, Greg, give us a picture. It looked really good. You were very good. Perfect. Michael Piller was awesome. So let's jump in and talk about unification part one. So in this episode, just a quick review, uh, to the Federation's surprise, Ambassador Spock has traveled to Romulus. Fearing he has defected, they send Captain Picard and some of his officers on a covert mission to determine why. So what did you guys think about this episode, Richard? Uh, I love this episode. It's one of my favorites. Uh, it's, it's probably one of those episodes that I remember more as a child other than my first episode. Um, but like it, it's, 
it, I mean, it's very. It's uh, when I when I first saw it, it was very mysterious, and I love. I absolutely love it for it. I mean, it's bringing together TOS and TNG. Actually, back then, I don't even think I knew what T- TOS was, to be quite honest, because I started out with TNG. Um, but like, yeah, it was it was it was a very mysterious episode, and uh, you know, uh, trying to figure it out and whatnot. And uh, I, I really enjoy this. I it's it's really. Uh, I'm glad to see that. Um, at least one of the cast members from the original series is there. So, yeah. 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 I mean, it was suspenseful. And, you know, trying to figure out, did is Spock really going to defect? I mean, it it was pretty good. Justin, what do you think of it? Yeah, I, I think it's a really good episode. And, I mean, it's it's important in the history of TNG and, and, and Star Trek because even though DeForest Kelly had done a little cameo and encounter at Farpoint, it was a really short thing. They didn't even give his name as McCoy. He was just Admiral. But this was the first time that um, a member of the TOS cast came over to the next generation in a really important role. And actually, the you know unification refers to the Romulan and Vulcan unification that Spock is looking for. But at the same time, I think they also did that as a message to say, this is unifying TNG into, you know, more into the Star Trek universe and with TOS, which I think is pretty clever. And, you know, when I first saw it, I, of course, it was many years after it aired. And, and I thought, oh, this is the, you know, TNG two-parter that, that Spock's in, what's going to happen? Of course, in the first episode, he's there for like 10 seconds. <laughs> I wish he would have been in more because anytime you can see Leonard Nimoy is great. But, you know, setting it up in this, you know, Vulcan Romulan unification movement is is really fascinating. And we'd seen Romulans in a little bit in, in roles just in hostile with warbirds that were threatening the enterprise and things like that but this got more into the story of romulus and the romulans and and i think it's it's a really good setup for the two-parter i agree spoilers much we haven't even gotten to the second one yet (laughs) well i'd hope that people have seen this since it aired 25 years ago but (laughs) i guess Well, you know, when we talk about these episodes, I think we're assuming people have have seen them and whatever we say about it hopefully wouldn't spoil something. But sorry if you got spoiled. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, leads us to Unification Part 2 and the continuation of the story. And this is where we get Sila, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. yes. She is in this the, one, but she was in Redemption before that, right? Right. But we, but yeah. she, the crew didn't know who she was. Right. Because yeah. she was in the shadows. Mm-hmm. Yes. So on Romulus, Picard and Data meet with Spock, who claims to be trying to reunite the Romulans and Vulcans. Uh, while Spock works to achieve his goal, powers within the Romulan government seek to pervert his mission into an invasion of the Federation. And uh, this one, again, I like the whole idea of seeing, you know, these two distinct, I mean, Romulan Vulcans and that they came from the same origin story. So I I like that idea and sort of tells us about who we are and gets us to think about, well, we are all humans and we all sort of came from the same parents. So how can we find that common ground? Yeah, it's definitely an intriguing story. Uh, you know, obviously, what it, obviously the question would be, what would the Vulcans look like with emotions? And clearly, this is the answer. 
and uh, bringing the two uh, together, I, I would assume it's nothing going to be it's going to be nothing but chaos, <laughs> uh, considering the um, Romulans are uh, you know show more emotions. But like it, yeah, uh, it's it's a very. I don't think this is this is the first time we ever hear about it, is it? I mean that they're hear I mean, about the unification, right? But we yeah. didn't know that they the came thing. from the same planet until really this episode, right? Well, I, I mean, I think they even establish a common origin in um, Balance of Terror and TOS. That, right. Oh, right. that they look, but actually explaining very similar. It. Right, but explaining but it more, explaining it is is mm. uh, was never it was never done because actually I was I remember Bounds of Terror and how that what was it that Navigator was basically uh, uh, holding a grudge against him or something like that because his family or whoever or his father or something yeah like that had been affected died. was it like in in the Romulan War and then yeah. seeing the connection he he got angry at Spock or something like that because right because they look similar yeah, yeah yeah so I mean it's a contentious thing and. I mean, they they do seem very different, and in a certain way, you think like the Romulans seem so different from the Vulcans. Like, how can Spock have any idea that that there's going to be any possibility of of this happening? But I think what's what's kind of interesting with with Spock and and his character is, you know, even like going from the original series into into the different movies, he goes through a lot of, of changes. And, you know, with uh, Unification, this aired, I think, right before Star Trek VI came out and was meant almost as like a cross-promotion for that. And I think especially in Star Trek VI, you see Spock getting those emotions maybe creeping in a little bit more or his, you know, facade cracking a little bit more. And there are certain episodes and places you, you see that. But then if you think of Spock, you know, what, 70, 75 years later or something like that, you know, maybe he um, is swayed more by that. And I think in Star Trek VI, he does say that, you know, logic is just the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end. There's more to things than than logic. So I think it's kind of fascinating the way it informs his character and and his motivations. And, you know, at a certain point, he says that... Um, you know, the best thing to do is just to go along with their plan and just see where it leads. So I guess there's some logic to that, but I don't know. I, Spock is such a complicated character and I feel like this, this adds some other layers to it because, you know, it was the first time that we really see him in the 24th century. So thinking about, I don't know. Um, I felt like there was a lot that was added to that. And of course, seeing him interact with Picard and data is really great. Yeah, that the mind meld that he has, you know, to share sort of linking, you know, Spock with Sarek through Picard. I just thought yeah, it was brilliant. That it is brilliant and you see like Spock has this look of emotion on his face, doesn't he? Because he's mm-hmm. moved and touched by finally seeing and feeling all of these things that that Sarek did after his father dies and that's yeah. That's one of one of the really great moments I think in in Star Trek when you see that and a great place to to end it. But he does have this kind of undisguised emotion on his face, which you hadn't seen except in cases where there was something really wrong or his pawn far or something like that. But this is just a regular reaction. It's really mm-hmm. something. Um, and the the other thing that's great is Spock talking to Data because Spock talks about Data kind of embodying the things that Vulcans have always wanted to to achieve in terms of, um, you know, having all of these emotions taken away. Um, and then, you know, for, for data 
to say, you know, Spock, you're half human, but you've abandoned the things I've sought all my life. Just that that scene and bringing the, those two perspectives together is really amazing. And, you know, I think it's great that we even got any scenes with Spock and Data at all, because Data is kind of a very Spock-like character. And Unification uh, 1 and 2 were the first episodes that aired after Gene Roddenberry's death, just to mention. That's right. Yeah, there's a little... Um, yeah, there's something acknowledging that at the front of the episode. So I always get sad when I see that, like, oh, yeah. 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 And it's, yeah. So we're losing Gene Roddenberry and we're bringing in TOS with TNG. It's mm. quite, you know, a circular round of events there. Yeah. I, yeah. I do have one other thing to say about unification, though. <laughs> I think it's great overall, but like, Toward the end of the second episode, when Picard and Spock and Data are in Sela's office, and then Sela just decides to leave with her armed guards, just to leave them in her room with the computers, like, would that actually happen, that, that she would be that negligent? Richard's shaking his head. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like... Clearly, clearly she's never won a war or anything like that, so yeah. Um yeah, you wouldn't want to anyway. <laughs> you wouldn't it's, want it, to do that anyway. <laughs> it, it, it seems like a, that's the one place where there's a failing in the writing. Like, really, wouldn't they just take them to the brig, you know? <laughs> but, but otherwise, yeah. it's great. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah <laughs> Got to make the story move along. Uh, yeah, that's what I feel like. They had to make it move along. But part of what was going on at this time was that Jerry Taylor, who co-wrote it, was also writing the novelization of Unification. And she had to do it basically at the same time that she was writing the episode, which is insane. Um, so I, I wonder if at a certain point it was like, oh, man, we got to get past this and up. Oh, let's just do it, <laughs> you know. So maybe they would have took him to the brig and then Scotty would have like blown the backside of it. Just to <laughs> them out. So there you go. That's that. But there he did that already. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe that was the reason why. It would have taken too long to get them out of the brig, I guess. But <laughs> but anyway, overall, it's great. It's just that one thing that always hits me when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's move on to the Masterpiece Society, another one that uh, Michael Piller co-wrote. And uh, this is the one where they go down to this perfect colony and it's on the verge of destruction. And uh, in part because uh, each person like is engineered and and genetically, I guess, enhanced or well, not enhanced, but genetically engineered to fit within the society. And We've got, I think it's a good Troy story with uh, her and Aaron Connor is the main, I don't know, mayor of the place. I don't know what you would call Some him. Some kind of leader, I guess. Yeah. Governor. Yes. So uh, what did you guys think about Masterpiece Society, Justin? Well, I like the episode. I think we did talk about it on the Unsung Season 5 um, and... Uh, I, I like it and the questions that it brings up about uh, genetic engineering. And I think it's a good story overall. I actually haven't rewatched it for a while. So I don't know if I have too much to add other than what I said in that, in that episode, but Richard, your thoughts. <laughs> Just like what I said in that episode, as well as this one, I absolutely do not like that episode. <laughs> really? I still don't. Uh, it just, it, it 
it irks me that someone has is destined to be that one person or you know one person to fit into a society and it's just yeah yeah it just it gets at me <laughs> really i mean to me uh, to me it's a story that pokes fun at um at those kind of uh, at a society like that um or at least that's what this episode is but it still bothers me <laughs> So, well, Michael yeah. Piller did say that uh, this story had been passed through five other writers' hands before he actually got to it. And his main issue, his main problem was like, how do we define a genetically engineered society? Um, he says, quote, this was the beginning of me feeling better about the season. It was another one of those shows that had been around for a while and a lot of writers had taken a shot at it. It dealt with genetic engineering and uh, abortions and interesting things for Jordy to do and the relationship between Troy and the leader of the society. I think it's a real classic tragedy because everyone was trying to do the right thing in that episode and it ended up in destruction. Aside from the disappointment in casting, casting, I was pleased with it. I think a lot of people were rather pleased they liked it as much as they did. So he had a disappointment in some of the casting? Yeah, I wonder what that's about. Must have been Troy. I don't know. Whatever. (laughs) He was supposed to be Beverly, not Troy, that was supposed to make out with the governor. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he wasn't happy with the guy that played Connor. Probably. I I like him. I thought he did well. And I I thought he paired well with Troy. I, I remember liking him, but... Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned something about it not working out because they're... Yeah, I mean, oftentimes in, in The Next Generation in these kinds of episodes, there's some kind of thread or some something that's happening to the society and they can work it out, but they don't in this one. And, and that's yeah, that's pretty interesting how, yeah, how things get affected. Yeah, Jerry Taylor, uh, I guess, is more in line with uh, your thoughts, Richard. And she says, Michael Pillar and I are at odds about it. It was an idea I didn't like from the beginning. I don't like the concept. I wasn't wild about the script. I thought it was one of our weakest episodes in the seasons. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, then I'm going to have to start reading more about Jerry Taylor. No, <laughs> well, it, it, it's interesting because Michael Piller was running the show at this point and Jerry Taylor took over the next season and this was later in season five. So, mm-hmm. Funny I, enough, that's one of my favorite seasons too. <laughs> It is really good. (laughs) (laughs) This is another comment. I know we're not talking about Jerry Taylor, Ronald Moore, but Ronald Moore says, this is another example of a show that doesn't really work too well. Sort of a show that sets up a genetically perfect colony, which in and of itself is starting to bore me. (laughs) And when we get there, it's like, gee, Troy falls in love with one of the people. You can't wait up. You can't wait to get up and get a beer. Wow. How funny is that? Wow. That's pretty harsh. <laughs> yes, it is. It kind of is. Mm. Roll the eyes. Oh, Troy again. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to maybe a better episode. I don't know if it's better. You guys let me know. It's The Perfect Mate. And this episode... Oh, is so interesting. I'm wondering what you guys have to say. But Picard serves as a host for a peace treaty between two warring planets. 
Um, he may be unable to resist the reconciliation gift, a beautiful, empathic metamorph who is to be presented by one leader as the other's wife. So, Richard, do you like The Perfect Mate? What did you think about it? No, it's not that I like. I love this episode. <laughs> no, uh, it's mainly because of her. Um, it's it's mainly because of, is it, is it, I, I can't remember. I can never pronounce her, her name right. Is it Famke uh, Jensen? Famke Jensen. Her, Thank you. Uh, Yes, I think <laughs> her character name is Kamala. Well, yeah, I'm talking about yes. the actress. <laughs> yes, I, she's gorgeous. She is absolutely gorgeous. I love her. She's like, I think she's a great actress. Now, the what Justin's gonna say in a minute, <laughs> I understand where he's coming from, and I didn't see it that way, and it kind of disappoints me that that now that I see it that way, I'm like, ah, <laughs> dang it. You ruined it for me, uh, Justin. I'm just gonna let you know that. <laughs> but otherwise, she did. I think she did a really. Uh, aside what he's gonna talk about in a second, it's it's a really good relationship between Picard and her, uh, and it's it, it's it's one of those. It's again, it's like one of those things we always keep saying that we never see Picard with a hobby, and we're starting to see uh, that he he's gonna have romantic relationships, and it's nice to see that. So. Um, but go ahead, Justin. Ruin it for everyone. Just kidding. All right. The suspense. <laughs> our listeners are wanting no, before, to know, be- Justin. Before I talk about that, so Richard, so the novelty yeah. of seeing Picard with, with a hobby, I mean, isn't he into archaeology and lots of previous episodes? Justin. That is true, but we don't see it very often. <laughs> all right, but all she right. brings out his hobbies. There it's not that there she is the hobby. I didn't say oh, that. Oh, my goodness. I didn't, I didn't mean did it that way. No, that. no, no, no. <laughs> But <laughs> that's not how I meant it at all. Anyway, you're good, so Justin, you're good. You're good. <laughs> you guys are twisting my words. <laughs> yeah. Listeners, rewind, listen, and you will say, and Picard's hobby. <laughs> all right, Justin, we love you. Tell us what you think. You know, sometimes I say things and I don't mean it a certain way, and then I listen to anyway. All right, yeah. so. So we all per- do it. It's all good. <laughs> so the per- the perfect mate. All right. I, I I said my piece on the unsung season five, but case listeners didn't hear that, I'll say it again. <laughs> or forgot. Or forgot. So like, I don't have any problem with with the the performance or you know what it does for Picard or all of that. That's all fine. I have a problem just with the concept that the the enterprise is basically you know transporting someone who is a gift from one leader to another um, as that leader's wife and that they're you know transporting someone kind of as cargo and and kind of participating in this like if they like if the uh, federation knows that this is what how this society does things I don't know um, they probably don't have like a complete knowledge of what's going on, but I just have like a, it just distracts me from the episode that basically, you know, this woman is made engineered to be the perfect mate for, for this other person and that the enterprise is kind of transporting her as cargo. It just, it, it bothers me every time and I can't get into it. <laughs> so what, and I'm not justifying, I'm just throwing out the question so what do you say to those people who feel like this is my life's work to do fill in the blank, to 
you know, do a humanitarian service or, you know, whatever field it may be. Like, do you feel that when they say this is my life's work that they're being cheated? Or is it just the fact that she doesn't really have a choice in what her life's work is? She has no choice because she's just been kind of engineered and designed that way, right? And I, I, I just have a problem with a, a society that would do that, that would engineer and design someone just for the sole purpose of being like the perfect wife for someone. Uh, it just it just bothers me. I, I mean, like if you get into the episode and in universe, I mean, there's there's nothing wrong that she's doing. That's just what her society has kind of designed her to do. And it's it bothers who me. She is. Well, it's who she is because that's that's how they they meant it to be as a society. She doesn't really have a choice. She's been engineered that way. So I don't know. She truly is the perfect mate. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. I, can, I don't uh, think so. I mean, I I wouldn't say for me the perfect mate would be someone that's like designed to like when they see me on site, like oh you're the perfect person. I want to know that person for who they are and everything that they are, the good things and the bad things as a person. Yeah. Not that it's predetermined. That's not perfect for me. That that would always bug me, right? Like it doesn't really have anything to do with me. It has to do with them being designed for me. I, I don't like that idea. <laughs> So you wouldn't like her because because that that's who she is. You couldn't accept but she her would be, for that. But but I think if I remember right, you know, she's there to basically adapt to whatever the needs are of was it the first person or a person within a certain period of time after she, yes. she's out of this stasis field or whatever. I don't like that idea, and no, I wouldn't want to to. Um, to be with a person that had just been engineered and designed to, to do that because it's not really about how they feel about me or how I feel about them. It's about a design decision that was made before this person was even conceived, you know? And no, I wouldn't want that at all. So more, it's more about the choice yes. or lack thereof. It is. It definitely okay. is. I'm interested to know, I unfortunately did not see this, but on the uh, Blu-ray there's a deleted scene um, <clears throat> well, it's not a, yeah. Uh, so it says there's an alternate ending that was proposed by Michael Piller during production, uh, where Picard is intervening during the ceremony to stop the wedding only to reveal that his abrupt intervention was only in his imagination as the ceremony continued. Although Patrick Stewart liked the idea, Piller was overruled by Rick Berman. So we never got to see mm. that. What do you think if that would have been his imagination? I don't know. It was just his imagination and intervening, not the whole thing, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that would be awesome. Actually, I could see. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. I. It wouldn't change my opinion of the episode. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's always interesting to think of how things might be different. Yeah. yeah. Or it could be a little well, holodeck, uh, holodeck mission or something like that. <laughs> No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Huh. Yeah. Very anyway, interesting. Thank, thank you for letting me say say my piece about it again. <laughs> again. It definitely brings up a lot. I mean, I could ask a few more questions, but for time's sakes, we will move on since this isn't an episode about the perfect mate. Mm. It is about Aww. Michael Piller. And <laughs> another episode that he uh, co-wrote is Time's Arrow, one of our favorites, right, Richard? Hmm. I don't know if it's my favorite. 
but it might be someone else we know. <laughs> yes, definitely one of my favorites, <laughs> for sure. Oh, yeah. I, we, of course, we talked about this one on our episode about Time's Arrow, but uh, yeah, I, just, I, I love the whole episode, Mark Twain and what's going on with them going into the 19th century. Now, Pillar only had a role in in part one, but he was, you know, setting up all of that stuff that I that I love about it, and I, I love both parts, and there's just so much about it that that I enjoy. It's just a really fun adventure yeah definitely uh it, it definitely br- uh brings out the characters uh, other acting abilities and that's what i love about this uh episode again it's what i said in that episode as well it <laughs> sucks that you know it's it, it, we kind of have to tell you guys to you know refer back to that <laughs> but yeah it's a really good episode uh Definitely uh, uh, see the broad, uh, uh, I guess, a broader spectrum of other acting abilities. It's 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 a really it's it's it looks like it was a lot of fun. I mean, uh, a lot. I mean, different costumes. I'm sure. I mean, I'm looking at a picture of uh, Data in his uh, boat in his tie and everything. And actually, I want one of those. That's what I really yeah. want. <laughs> but um, I'm a sucker for ties. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> but like. Um, yeah, it, it's it definitely looked like it was a fun episode. So for them, that is, and us too, yeah. and clearly for Justin too. Oh, I love it! One of my favorites, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I feel like they 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 put a lot into it, and it was a lot of fun. And you know that that episode, um, yeah. So Michael Pillar was still the showrunner, and I think Jerry Taylor took over the next season in in part two. But I feel like they they fit together really well, and. Um, yeah, it's just a lot of fun, and I think they put a lot into it because for the, they had actually I think built up the the set for the the street scenes in 19th century San Francisco, which is really cool. So yeah, this is another one you'd say Times Arrow, and everyone knows what you're talking mm-hmm. about. It's definitely one that doesn't get forgotten, whether people like it or not. Yep, <laughs> because it's so different, and I think it's an interesting concept and. So, yeah, I really enjoy Time Zero. And it's funny because I and I think I mentioned this before is watching it with my brother and he's like, what? People don't like it. And I said, I know it's crazy. So <laughs> but um, it wasn't going to be a, two, a two parter, actually. Um, and I mentioned this again when we talked about Time Zero, but Rick Berman and Michael Pillar had originally decided not to end season five with a cliffhanger. I don't know how much of a cliffhanger it is, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Will they get back? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What's going to happen to Data? But, you know, we have Deep Space Nine that was, you know, starting. And Pillar says, because of all the attention DS9 was getting and the rumors that TNG would be shutting down, we wanted to send a message that this show was alive and well and continuing to grow. So definitely a a well thought out and planned cliffhanger so yeah. that people would know TNG is still alive. And Justin got a two-parter out of it. That's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I find it hard to believe that it was supposed to be one part because it doesn't feel like they just took one episode and stretched it out. It feels like there is enough stuff in there. But yeah, it's interesting that they were thinking with Deep Space Nine getting attention and it was going to premiere in January the next year. They wanted to make sure that people knew, we're not going off the air, we're going to continue. So yeah. That yeah. would suck if they ended it that way and it actually didn't continue. 
Like, and then, they, that, they, that's a real cliffhanger. Yeah, I mean, they're, oh. they're, they're, you know, there, there, there have been some some shows where there's been a cliffhanger and they've been hoping for another season and they don't get renewed and it's like, what happened? Are but, we referring to uh, Firefly? <laughs> Or something I like have that. I haven't seen much much oh. of that. But <laughs> okay, okay. No, the the one that I'm thinking of, and um, it's not Star Trek, of course, but uh, my name is Earl is was a show that I really liked, uh, and um, it actually ended kind of on a cliffhanger, and they didn't get another season. <laughs> oh so no! I was like, ah, what's going to happen? But I've gotten over it. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Since that was years ago, but I think that does happen every once in a while. They'll write a cliffhanger, like if we do that, maybe we'll get renewed. And sometimes it doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, it better not happen with Discovery. We need another so. season. I think we'll get another one, at least. Yeah. Mm. Well, moving on to Rascals, I think everyone enjoys Rascal. Rascals. Everyone um, here, at is, least. <laughs> yeah. This we have Captain Picard, Ensign Rowe, Guinan, and Keiko O'Brien are regressed physiologically to age 12 by transporter accident, but retain their full adult memories, resulting in different reactions from each. So we've got the uh, little rascals here. Now, one thing to point out, I again, not really, I know this is a Michael Pillar, but Adam Nimoy directed this, but he was, I don't know if you knew, he was supposed to uh, direct uh, Unification as well. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, so, but with the timing and scheduling, it didn't work out, so here we get That would have been really interesting to have him direct his father, right? Right? (laughs) That would have been cool, yeah. Yeah. But it didn't. So what do you you think of Rascals? Well, I love it, and again, this is one we talked about in our our Row episode. I think we've done enough like different episodes that we keep referring back to stuff, but, um, <laughs> but I love it. Uh, I mean, I know some people don't like it, but, uh, just, just seeing them as, as young people is, is a lot of fun. And there's actually some really like touching stuff with, with Roe where you get some character development, even though it's, it's the, the younger Roe and in her talks with Guinan and there's some really, really great character stuff in this episode that I think people miss sometimes because they yeah, think yeah, of it as we silly. Know. We know you like Ensign Rowe. She wasn't the only one I that know. was small. I know, I know, but <laughs> but I feel like she got a lot of development. Yeah, I, I focus on Rowe like you do on Troy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, I'll let it pass. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. But no, it's it's a great episode for all of them involved. There's there's a lot of fun. There is some great stuff with, I mean, seeing Guinan as a kid just trying to have fun, um, where she's usually giving more serious advice is great, um, and seeing you know the young Picard and and Riker, and you know he's my number one dad. That kind of stuff is great. Oh, that was so funny. Yeah. Yeah. So I I love well, it. And when you mentioned Kynan, and just to think about how old she is, what a great opportunity for her character to revisit her youth. Yeah, it's been like hundreds of years since she was that age, right? Exactly. I didn't even think about that until now. Richard, what did you you think of Rascals? Eh, I was all right with it. (laughs) Not one of my favorite episodes. Uh, I I think that's what I said last time. Oh shoot! Uh, but, then I forgot because I said we all like it. <laughs> I know. I was I thinking wasn't we all liked it too. too. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, it's all right. I mean, it's it. Like I said, it's not one of my favorite episodes. Yes, it does give a lot of character uh, development and whatnot, but that's not what I'm most excited about uh, in this episode. Can you guess what it is? 
No. In Rascals? Yeah. We see Lieutenant Marquez. <laughs> oh, <Okay>. that's right. <laughs> so in the beginning, so it, it, uh, I can't remember what episode they said uh, what his name was. I, uh, I think it was, um, I can't remember the episode. But anyways, they, they've uh, mentioned his name, and he's in the beginning uh, title where it says Rascals, and then it shows him. So, yeah, he's the one that's given an, an exam to Row. So. Oh, you know, they. I think they gave him a name in Lessons, because I remember when I that's watched right. that recently. Lessons, thank you. That's yeah. what it was. <laughs> yep, because they were like setting up some kind of shoe grid or something like that, and they, they called his name off and everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like yeah. Lieutenant Marquez do this, yeah. But oh, I guess... Yeah, <laughs> but he's in Rascals too. Yeah, it's, I'm looking at him right now. Oh, okay. I know his face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but otherwise, it was it was a, it's a decent episode. It so really you're saying was. the highlight was seeing someone with your last name? That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Just like, that's why I love First Contact because they said Marquez in that one too. And they're passing out weapons. <laughs> uh. Well, unfortunately, my name is uncommon enough that I doubt it will ever come up in a Star Trek episode. <laughs> you never know. Discovery might. We might have to get, uh, let them know. I like, seriously say something, Ozer. Seriously yeah. doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good your name came up. <laughs> well, Ronald, Ronald Moore says, when Michael Piller brought the premise, I thought he was completely insane. An away team rematilar... Me- an away team rematerializes on the transporter as children with adult minds. I tried again and again to bury this idea, which of course meant that I would get saddled with the inevitable rewrite when the script came in. I just thought it was ludicrous idea and wanted nothing to do with it. That said, once I got the assignment, the professional writer and me had to commit to the material to do the best that I could. So I tried very hard to bring humor and humanity to the proceedings chiefly through the Guinan Rowe story that I did end up liking in the end. I still cringe when I think of that episode, but many people have told me how much they like it. That was, that so. was uh, Ronald Moore? Yeah. Sounds like he wasn't on the same page with Pillar sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm thinking so too now that we're discussing it. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. But I mean, I think he added some great stuff to it. Oh, yeah. Even though he didn't like it overall. But it does sound like a crazy concept. Like if you've never seen this episode and you say, hey, there's a transporter accident and some of the people are are young kids and hijinks ensue. Like it just sounds not so good, but I like how it turned out a lot. All right. So we get now to uh, the movie Insurrection, which came out in 1998. So Richard, Insurrection. What do you think? I don't know what movie you're talking about. Uh, are you talking about a movie that does not exist in my world? Well, it's, it's gonna a exist, movie. It's going to exist for this episode. It's it's a movie that I really just consider just another episode. Yeah. It's yeah, it's interesting. It's it is interesting. It's a great. It's don't get me wrong. It's a great episode, right? It, it is. You're right. I, don't I completely think so. agree. I just. <sighs> I don't know. I, there's something about this. That, I mean, there's nothing. I mean, there's something about this movie that I can't stand. I don't know why it doesn't. It, it's it's just. It seems like it was a filler movie. That's uh, in between, you know, Nemesis and First Contact. You know, two other great movies, Nemesis and right, First Contact. Exactly. So you know, One. it's like every other. It's every other movie 
that you know one's great the other one's crap the other one's great you know and, and all that yes. kind of stuff so it definitely fits in that but it's like oh i absolutely maybe we should tackle this on another episode because there's just there's no just we so need to much. talk about this for a while <laughs> oh we do we do because I've, I've i have some thoughts too <laughs> oh my god okay well it's just it's just <sighs> The, just this—I mean, it's the Fountain of Youth story. I mean, come on, mm-hmm. it's just—that's just not something. It's a trope, that I, exactly. And I, it's just—it's just not an episode, or it's not an episode. There you go. Uh, it's just not a uh, an idea that I particularly like or believe in. And it's just like I don't know. It, yeah, go ahead, Justin. <laughs> Justin, go for How it. How long do you want me to go on for? <laughs> no, I'll—I'll—I'll I'll, I'll say like. <laughs> you know, a couple points, but cause I, I made a lot of notes because I rewatched it. I hadn't seen it for a while, but I rewatched it today. So here's how I feel like in general about, about insurrection. Actually, the first time that I saw it some years ago, I thought, Oh, I like this. It's good. And then I went ahead and rewatched it and I was like, Oh, now that I've seen all this other stuff, it's not that good. And I was rewatching it today and I was like, this has a lot of problems with it. And, and, so the way that I feel about it is like the they spent a lot of time and effort on this Baku village. It was actually like the largest outdoor set. I think it's still the largest outdoor set we've ever had for for Star Trek. And there's this beautiful kind of idyllic village that's there. But the problem is it seems like they've probably been in this village for a while, but it looks like it was built yesterday. Like there's no age, everything looks brand new. Like is the metaphasic radiation that's renewing the people, renewing the buildings too? (laughs) Because there's just something, something about it. Like I think one of the problems I have is that the, it seems like there are things that feel unfinished or like it was a draft that didn't get revised. And the buildings are kind of symptomatic of that. And just having this idea of, you know, you're seeing this, this village and then you see, um, you know, data revealing himself and there's something that's, that's going on. Um, I mean, it's kind of interesting. You're wondering, you know, what's, what's going on, but especially on a rewatch when you know, what's, what's going to happen. It's just, it's just not, not as interesting. And these Sona people that for the most part are, are just, um, you know, unmitigating villains who like stretch their skin in this weird way. Uh, it, it just feels weird. I mean, and, and also, like the the Deep Space Nine fan in me thinks this is a big missed opportunity because at this time there's a Dominion War that's going on and they make on Deep Space Nine and they make some references to that. But I think a much better movie would have been the Enterprise being involved more in the Dominion War and not being way out on the outskirts doing this mission. You know, like, oh, there's a war going on and you're going to send one of your most capable officers in the entire fleet data to observe this planet for a week. It makes no no sense. So there's all of these things as I go through it that I think missed opportunity. This doesn't make sense. This feels unfinished. At the same time, there are things that I do like about it. Like the 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 actually the love story aspect between Anish and Picard I kind of like and there's some touching moments and who knows how she can stop time. They never explain that but or slow down time, but but those those kind of moments are really beautiful and the music is great. The Jerry Goldsmith music is really I think good in in this movie and kind of tugs at at my emotions. So I feel like there's all this potential but it feels like one big missed opportunity. 
Anyway, that's how I feel in general. I mean, what, what, how do you feel about it, Amy? Well, I, again, I think it's just an episode. And when I, when I look at the four movies um, to put out and I'm like deciding what to watch, like I never want to watch Insurrection. Mm. I would rather watch Generations over Insurrection. Mm. And I just think that... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I'm, you know, being honest, (laughs) but I just, there's, I don't like the fountain of youth idea. I don't, I mean, there are some things that I think we look at our society and sort of wonder, gosh, where are we, you know, with all the prosthetics and, you know, surgeries that people get and, and try to make themselves prettier and this idea of what is beauty but again, just trying to live forever. I don't know. Um, and I think I don't like the, oh, Worf's got a zit. Oh, my boobs are form, firmer. Uh, yeah, that's you know, kind of cringeworthy. Just, it's so of out of character for what I feel that we know for the past seven years in movie, that or two movies, yeah. that they've come. And I'm, I just don't get it. And it doesn't seem cinematic. Um but I was reading and talking about this fountain of youth, like Michael Piller says that he says, I literally got the idea for this film one morning as I was putting on my Rogaine. Not that I <laughs> needed it, of course. Wow. So it's just the strangest ideas. You're, you know, what do we do to ourselves to make ourselves prettier and this to capture this fountain of youth? Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Now, what's interesting about this movie, too, is that it does actually have some genuinely funny moments. And I find myself laughing more in this one than I do in in Generations. Um, You know, like when you see Picard singing and then Worf is singing this Gilbert and Sullivan tune. I don't know why, but I find that so, so very funny. And there are different things that that data, you know, says in here that I think are really funny. Like in the event of a water landing, I've been designed as a flotation device. I can't help but laugh when he says stuff like that. Right. And when, and when, and it's clearly funny because Picard's also, well, um, Patrick Stewart's also laughing too. (laughs) You can see that you can see him try to laugh or try not to laugh, try not to laugh, but he does anyway. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, when Riker shaves and he's like smooth as an Android's bottom, I can't help but laugh at that. So like, there's some really funny moments. There's some interesting stuff that's going on, but yeah, it, it feels like there is this fountain of youth trope that's going on. They're disconnected from what's going on in the wider Federation. Like one of the things I really like about first contact is that, you know, there's a real threat by the Borg. This is something that matters to the whole Federation. And in a sense, in insurrection, it's like, well, this is something that matters to these people. And that's really important. But like, is one of your most powerful ships really going to be doing that instead of participating in the war itself? Like just the whole concept, there's kind of a a disconnect. Um, But I mean, actually, the original, I was reading about the original concept, which was um, a little bit different and would have actually started with with Picard at Starfleet Academy. Hmm. And so I wanted to read a little bit because it's interesting what the concept would have, have been. This is from an interview that Michael Piller did in, in 1998. So he said, I wanted to start the picture off with Picard at the Academy and we see what a rowdy young man he was. He's really not the same Picard we've grown to respect and admire. So we show him in a relationship with one of his best friends who gets him into trouble. 
We bring Boothby back to get him out of trouble and answer that great Star Trek question that was set up in the series about Boothby's history with Picard and what trouble he did get into. Then we would flash forward to the future where Starfleet sends Picard on a mission to a strange unknown galaxy. Now it says galaxy. I don't know if they really mean that or just a different star system. But anyway, Mm -hmm. he goes some unknown place. Uh, There he finds his old friend, the one who he had... uh, you know, had trouble with at the Academy, who has seemingly gone berserk, striking ships and creating all kind of havoc in the neutral zone. So Picard is forced to go off after his oldest friend. And when he gets there, he discover his friend looks exactly the same way as when we saw him in the opening sequence. It's then revealed that this planet has a magical, youthful effect on the inhabitants. When Picard discovers his old friend uh, has discovered a conspiracy to steal this planet from the people who live there, ultimately Picard joins him to fight the good fight and at the time, I was thinking it was against the Romulans. So that was the original idea, which Rick Berman had vetoed or taken in a different direction. I mean, do you guys think that that would have been maybe a more interesting idea? That would have been a far better film than anything we saw in that one. But to go with tradition, this this film had to suck. So maybe that's the reason why. <laughs> I, I think it would. I think it, I think it would have been really good. I really do. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, you know, it still has the fountain of youth trope, but it's maybe not as, as important. It's, it's more about, um, you know, a, a, a threat with the Romulans and his old friend and, and all of that than about the fountain of, of youth idea. So right. um, I think it would have been interesting. And actually, I haven't read the book yet, but Michael Piller, while he was writing Insurrection, actually wrote a book called Fade In that was all about his experience in writing Insurrection that he meant as kind of a textbook for, for screenwriters. Um, and it, it just became available last year, but go ahead. It's a really good book. You've, you've read it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I've started it. Started it. Okay. And I have about like three pages of notes already. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I've heard it's, it's, it's really good. And I think fleshes out that concept more, but it's, it's so interesting. Yeah. To read it. It's a different type of read. Um, cause I'm used to reading, you know, novels and stuff like that. So it's very, very interesting and it does mm-hmm. give you a lot of insights. So, uh, I, definitely listeners read it. It's good. Yeah. And it was, it was unpublished for a long time and just became available last year. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's right. I'll definitely have to check it out because it's supposed to be really really interesting. Um yeah. go ahead. So, one of the reasons why I really enjoy doing these overviews cuz you get to see some connections and patterns and I see one here with insurrection and actually uh unification. Like it's sort of got that same thread that here in insurrection we have the Baku and the Sonai and they come to find out they're from the same heritage, right? That they mm-hmm. really are the same people. So I found that an interesting concept and wondering if Michael Pillars had a hand in that. I wouldn't that, doubt it. That could be <laughs> it. I mean, and actually the first time that I saw it, I was surprised. I didn't quite expect that to happen, that they're related. And actually it, it leads to something that I think is one of the best moments in the whole movie where, you know, they're, they're on the planet, Picard's talking to Anish, I think, and they see in the distance one of the, the Sona talking to someone, and you find out that this is his, his mother. And they, they do it really well because 
And I think this is Jonathan Frakes directing here because usually in that kind of scene, you'd want like a close up to see what it looks like, but they actually have it at a distance. And I find it much more touching when they hug each other. And actually, you know, it brought a tear to my eye about that, that, that there's some reconciliation there. So they're like good moments within the movie, but it, for me, it doesn't add up to like a, a great movie overall, you know, but I have to ask you, Amy, this is the movie where Riker and Troy kind of get back together. Do you like yes. seeing that? <laughs> I love seeing that. It's <laughs> great to see those two finally work out their differences and decide that, yes, they're going to be in a relationship. And then we get to see that uh, in Nemesis with but the marriage. I got to ask, do you prefer Riker with or without the beard? Um, I don't like Riker season one with, you know, without. no beard. Uh -huh. And so I like him with the beard, but I don't mind it in Insurrection. Okay. I think it's very handsome it's on It's a more him. mature shaved feel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he was too young back then. It just didn't work. But yes, with the maturity. So uh, Pillar talks about how he feels that first contact was too dark. And mm. um, that he felt that he wanted a lighter movie since he was working on it. And he says that the strength of Star Trek depends on making people feel good about the future. Over the last 10 years, the American public had turned into a darker and darker science fiction. But I think the fans love the parameters that Gene Roddenberry sent for us, the box that is he put us in. It is an intellectual challenge, but we have to stay in that box. And we've talked about those parameters that Gene Roddenberry, no conflict, you know, stuff like that, that these are the things that Gene Roddenberry want. And throughout, Michael Piller has honored that and respected that. And that it fits in with insurrection, I think. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, like as I was looking into the into this, that Michael Piller was pretty happy with the final product of, of insurrection. There's actually a, a, a quote that I got here from him saying that he thinks insurrection holds its own when compared to other Star Trek movies. The goals of this film are quite different from the ones that preceded it. And for the most part, we met those goals. So he was actually really happy with the final product, even if I think for a lot of fans, Insurrection is lower in, in, in the rankings. But he feels like he did what he, he set out to do, which is, is, which is good because like this was the final thing he did in Star Trek before, unfortunately, he passed away some years later. So even if we find problems with it, I'm glad that he was happy with you know that final Star Trek thing that he did. And like I said, for an episode, it's great. Yeah, it's it's not terrible. It's just the kind of thing, like you said, Amy. Like when you're thinking about a Star Trek movie to watch, Insurrection isn't the first thing you think about, right? It's just like uh, <laughs> maybe something yeah. else, uh, but it, it's I'm not on my Star Trek. You watch, <laughs> <laughs> and I have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean. The way I feel about it overall is it had potential, but, you know, missed some opportunities there. Yeah, I think one thing I was surprised at um, was that it was, we're introduced, and I don't know why I'm surprised, but we're introduced to the Baku and the Sona. And I'm like, who are these people and why do I care? You know, and, and I and was just sort of And why do the Baku felt, look completely human? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's happened. <laughs> right. Of, right. I mean, of course, that's happened in Star Trek before where it's like, Oh my goodness, what a coincidence. These people look exactly like us. Um, but I, I, it, it always hits me when I watch it like, oh, they just wanted to save on the makeup costs because there's so many people in this village. <laughs> I mean, that's the reason, isn't it? 
Probably. So, I would not yeah. doubt it. Yeah. But if we wouldn't have Insurrection, we wouldn't have the name Briar Patch, and then we wouldn't have our newest show. That yes. Is, that is quite I'm true. glad you brought that up. <laughs> or at least the name that is. <laughs> so. Yes, the Briar Patch. And we're so excited to have them on Truck FM. Very looking forward to hearing their discussions. It's uh, dedicated to the socioeconomics and political venue of Star Trek. So very excited for that. Yeah, definitely. So Insurrection provided the inspiration for the title of a new podcast. It's good for at least that. (laughs) There you go. It is. It's good for that. (laughs) But but really, listeners, if you love insurrection, you know, drop us a comment and tell us why, because <laughs> we'd be interested yes. to know. <laughs> we would be if, very interested, especially to know. if insurrection is like your favorite Star Trek movie of all time. But I'd be really interested to find out why. <laughs> Something that that is kind of not as well loved. It's interesting to find out why people love it, like the way yes. like the way Amy loves Nemesis. <laughs> <gasps> Ooh. I could go on and on. Ooh, oh wait, we didn't I, see I that already jab, have. Did you? <laughs> It's not a jab. It's just, it's fascinating to me because I really don't like insurrection, but Amy loves it. So I always love hearing like why, because I, I don't like it. <laughs> well, one thing insurrection did bring us was the beautiful Donna Murphy, who plays Anish. Is that how you say it? Yes. Yeah. 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 No, she's really good in this role. Oh my gosh. She is, I love her and she's perfect for Picard She's so beautiful, so intelligent, so wise. It just, that did work for me, their relationship and how mm-hmm. that, that grew. I, she's the best part of the movie. She's no perfect mate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she, oh. I'm just, I was, mess, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> see, you, you beat me, Richard, because I was going to say she's no Nella Darren. <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> well, I but I think, do like her. Yeah, I do too. Actually, if we're ranking, no, and I don't really like to do that. But out of Picard's women, I really like Anish, and I like uh, the perfect mate even over Nella Darren. Mm. How about that? There you go. All right, Justin. Well, I you like Nella, Nella Darren's Darren, number I know. one for me for as a fit yeah. for Picard. <laughs> but I still like Picard and Crusher. Yeah, yeah, that's probably my number two. <laughs> yeah, that's probably like my number two or three. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Well, so anyways. We can, <laughs> well, talking well, about women who... <laughs> I know, wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, well, now looking back, and we've now covered, uh, what is that, 14 total episodes and movie uh, that Michael Piller had his hand in. What are your overall thoughts uh, on those, Justin, with Michael Piller? Well, I think looking at this was was very interesting. I mean, I think there's there's a lot of uh, good episodes in here. There's a lot of important episodes. Of course, writing a Star Trek movie is very important, right? Um, there's and there there's a lot of of things that I like. There is some inconsistency, but I think I said the last episode when we looked at the first half that one of the things. That I saw in common was was people working together, and I see that in in these episodes as well. Um, like in in unification, um, 
you know, they're actually trying to work together toward a unification of two different cultures and everyone in, that is on um, the the side of, of the enterprise, including, you know, Spock in the end has to kind of work together toward a, a certain goal. And, you know, I think Time's Arrow is the same way and Rascals and, and Insurrection, even if they have to do something that's, that's against orders. Um, now for the Masterpiece Society and the Perfect Mate, I see those as kind of, maybe oddities in in this mix um because it's it's not quite as much about that but anyway i I don't know why i've focused on this theme of like you know people and teams and different cultures and different peoples working working together um but i i definitely see that as a theme in in a lot of his episodes i mean it was fun to you know rewatch and and to talk about these even if i don't love all of them i think i really like most of them which is a testament to his writing skill. Absolutely. Richard, what are you thinking about with Michael Piller and his influence on next gen? Memories. <laughs> um, I, I, I love all the, I, I, I love a good majority of these episodes. I really do. I mean, definitely some of the best work of TNG it, um, are, are some of these episodes. Obviously there are more, but, uh, but out of all his work, I mean, I, I really do appreciate what he's given to Star Trek, except for the Masterpiece Society. Um, <laughs> but, like, I mean, for the most part, I mean, I actually do, like, all these episodes because they're, I mean, a lot of them are, I mean, even even Masterpiece Society is thought-provoking. And, you know, it adds more to the Star Trek universe, especially answering questions like the uh, the ancestry relationship between the Vulcans and the Romulans. And even a, a fun one like Time's Arrow and, yes, even rascals and we won't mm-hmm. talk about insurrection well we already talked about it a lot <laughs> oh yeah we won't talk about it again <laughs> i mean of course let's not forget that he wrote best of both worlds which is one of the most important things that right. ever happened in star trek so i mean even just for that he had a big impact but he had an impact in all these other ways too it's really right. something yeah what do you think of amy uh, what do you, what do you what did you think amy well i liked you know, seeing his little inputs and, you know, reading his quotes and doing the research and, and sort of seeing who his character was, you know, through next gen. And I think, man, this guy's super creative. I mean, if you look at the list and what we covered last week and this week, like super creative to come up with these ideas of, okay, now you're going to be shrunk into kids' side. Oh, okay. Now we're going to talk about, you know, oh, I'm putting on Rogaine. Let's talk about Fountain of Youth, you know, just the ideas that came and that how they were executed. And you're right. These episodes are very memorable. I think really, well, maybe Masterpiece Society would be like, well, what was that one again? But like all the episodes you remember and that just shows how creative and, and how well executed that these are. And different. And I really appreciate Michael Piller's respect for Gene Roddenberry and that he was always trying to, you know, honor what Gene Roddenberry wanted to do by putting these restrictions and constraints on the writing and production staff that's like, okay, we need to, you know, talk about this future and how ideal it's going to be and can we get there. And I think that that really shines through in the episodes and movie that Michael Piller had a hand in. So I think it's, I'm very glad that we have Michael Piller on Next Generation. Oh, absolutely. 
You made a huge contribution. Well, it's been fun talking about the episodes and movie written by Michael Piller today, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. For an opening episode to get that relationship, like you could see that that crew really had been working together for seven years, which is so not normal for a launch for a first episode, right? Because you, yeah. you've got the odds, but they seemed to be have working forever together. The camaraderie that they had, the trust that they have with each other. To the journey! And then, you know, they're all up on the bridge and everyone's like, oh, what's Bellana doing with her day off? And Tom's like, oh, she's binge-watching Bill Nye. <laughs> she's been there, you know, in her PJs since 8 o'clock this morning. <laughs> I can picture she's been watching Bill Nye all day. Tom comes home and she says to Tom, you know, Tom, have you ever thought about wearing a bow tie? <laughs> <laughs> but if he's on the bridge and says all that, would Captain Janeway know who Bill Nye the science guy is? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's Janeway. <laughs> the 602 Club. So I graduated from high school in 1984. So this film came out in my, what, sophomore year in high school? So that was like prime formative years for me. Um, this is, you know, this and Mad Max were the R-rated movies that me and all of my friends wanted to go see. Meta Trex. It knows to point that out and say, that's red. You know, it, it will correctly identify the red shirt as red, but really perceives it like we perceive blue. I knew Kirk should have wore his green tunic when he went to fight the Gorn. Yeah, it would have made all the difference. It would have made all the difference. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from the, our website or grab the RSS link. We would love to hear your thoughts on today's show, especially you, Greg Rozier. Post that picture. And there are many ways for you to do that. Best place is on the Babel Conference. That's our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, Amy, if people wanted to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Well, you can find me here on the network hosting The Edge, our uh, podcast covering the new Discovery. I also do a little mini show called Postcards from The Edge, where we talk about fan response. So if you uh, would like to leave your comment there on the Babel Conference, then your comment might get read on the show. You can also find me at Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place is on the Babel Conference. And Richard, where can people talk to you? They can find me 
on Facebook. And uh, usually I pop in here and there on the uh, on the Babel conference. But they can also find me on Twitter, and my handle is xransom. Justin, what about you? Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at trekfan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. I am currently tweeting out my season three rewatch, which at this rate will probably take another six months. <laughs> Been distracted by discovery and so many other things. But anyway, <laughs> mostly at this point, you can see me tweeting about other Star Trek things. Um, and you can it's also. It's okay. <laughs> it's, it's not a race. Enjoy it. I know it's it. not. I just Savor feel like. Um, okay. I will. You know what? I'll take some advice from insurrection and I will slow down the moment and enjoy. There you go. Okay. Barf. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. Well, if you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. We've got lots of perks set up for you, like early access to our episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And we'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, and Michael Huter. Thank you so much for supporting Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Today is a good day to die! Things are only impossible until they're not. Great joy and gratitude. <laughs>